So last time I talked about our sponsor, Third Love, I went on and on about how great their classic t-shirt bra was. And it is, so I'm gonna say it again. It is the best bra I've ever owned. My husband actually said this week, there's a bra in the garbage. Is it supposed to be here? And I said, yes. My Third Love bras are so much better than that horrible thing. I actually said that. Those were words I actually said. Did you know your bra size can change six times in your lifetime? Did you know that 80% of women are wearing the wrong size bra? Third Love makes it easy to find the bra that actually fits with their fitting room quiz. The fitting room quiz is like a personal shopper that focuses on size, shape, current fit issues, so you can find bras that are perfect for you. They even have half cup sizes. Half cup sizes. I mean, that feels so obvious, and yet it's exclusive to Third Love. Third Love's fitting room has helped over 18 million women find their true bra size, and I bet a bunch of them put their old bras in the garbage too. Plus, with Third Love's Perfect Fit promise, you're guaranteed to love your fit. If you don't, exchanges and returns are free for 60 days. But feeling is believing. Give your boobs, or some boobs you know, the 24-7 comfort and support they deserve. Upgrade your bras today and get 20% off your first order at thirdlove.com slash politicsgirl. That's 20% off at thirdlove.com slash politicsgirl. You know what? You know how the Mandalorian never takes off his mask? That should be actually be like, someone should do some sort of promo, you know, be like the Mandalorian. This is the way. Never take off the mask. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this, this is, is the, way. the way. Anyways. Hello, and welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. This week's episode is a candid conversation with American epidemiologist and health economist, Dr. Eric Feigelding. Now, I don't normally do PGCCs back-to-back, but when something is topical and complicated, I've discovered sometimes the best way to explain it isn't to explain it at all, but to ask. We have experts for a reason, and although far-right pundits and media personalities like to pretend they're experts in everything, from critical race theory to foreign relations to virology, I want us to be more comfortable knowing what we don't know and being curious and humble enough to seek answers from those who do. Whether we do that through research, which is how I do most of my pods, or we do it through conversations with people who, unlike myself, truly are experts. The goal is for you to leave this pod knowing more than you did before and feeling as if our time together was well spent. Knowledge really is power, and the more we understand, the better prepared we are to make the most informed decisions for ourselves and our families. Dr. Eric Feigelding was a former faculty member and researcher at Harvard Medical School and the Harvard Chan School of Public Health a senior fellow at the Federation of American Scientists in Washington, D.C., and chief health economist for the Microclinic International, Dr. Fregelding's work focuses on the intersection of public health and public policy. But, most importantly for today's conversation, he was recognized in the media as one of the first to alert the U.S. public to the pandemic risk of COVID-19 back in January 2020. In fact, throughout the pandemic, Dr. Feigelding has been ahead of the curve as far as what was really happening with COVID rather than what we wanted to be happening. And as someone with a serious chronic illness myself, his honesty and ability to give it to you straight is one of the reasons he's one of my go-to follows for pandemic information. A graduate of John Hopkins University with a PhD in epidemiology from Harvard and an MD from BU, Dr. Feigelding clearly has the resume to be an expert, but it's his ability to message on social media that sets him apart. Dr. Feigelding has used social media as a way to reach out to people about public health for years. A major advocate for cancer prevention, he formed one of the biggest Facebook groups, 6 million members, to bring attention to that cause. 
He created a social network and public alert system for drinking water contamination in the aftermath of the Flint water crisis. And he led a team to co-develop the first mobile contacting application for infectious disease outbreaks during the Ebola crisis. Unfortunately, that project was shelved due to lack of interest in pandemic preparedness. <laughs> I know. But his application contributions live on to inform the later designs of contact tracing apps developed during the COVID outbreak. I know we all want COVID to be over, but COVID doesn't care about what we want. So I wanted to talk to my go-to guy, Dr. Feigelding, about what we should be expecting as BA2 comes to America, how we should be handling this next phase of the pandemic, and what we can do to prepare for moving forward. So without further ado, please welcome Dr. Eric Feigelding, epidemiologist, economist, social media superstar, and voracious teller of the truth. Welcome, Eric. Thank you so much. Now, I've been following you since your Holy Mother of God tweet in uh, January 2020, um, when you told people COVID was going to be bad. Now, I thought it was going to be bad too, because as someone with a rare lung disease, I'd been watching the news extremely carefully. Um, and I started canceling in-person things at the end of January 2020, and people thought I was being weird and alarmist. And then when the virus jumped from Wuhan to Italy, I pulled my son out of school and people thought I had gone crazy. Um, but then two weeks later, all the schools ended up shutting down and we all went to Zoom. I think the thing is, is that I had already lived through a coronavirus. I developed a coronavirus in 2018. It was not this coronavirus, but I had developed one. It had become pneumonia in my body and I spent six months in and out of the hospital. So I knew what it was like to gasp for breath, to need oxygen, to live in a hospital. So when they said another coronavirus was coming, I was, I took it seriously very fast because I had lived through it. But most people don't have that uh, point of view. Um, so I knew that this version that was coming would definitely kill me. Uh, so we locked our family down hard. But you also saw what was coming at that level. You got it. Now, can you tell me what made you sound the alarm when no one else was yet doing it? Yeah, thanks for having me. Those yeah. were crazy days. Uh, January 2020, I would say it's it's epidemiologists, you're kind of like a kind of shoe leather disease detective, right? And, you know, we just have to read the tea leaves. You don't have all the data in the world to prove your thesis. This is early. Uh, but things that tea leaves, every every it's like if you flip a coin five times and they're all heads and you flip a 10, they're all heads. There's something strange going on. And all the signals were basically leaning in the really, really bad direction. And so we were like, this is bad. This is bad. But, you know, as a scientist... You know, you don't want to scare people just by based on anecdotes. But when the first, you know, R not paper of, of how contagious it is, the reproductive number came out, I was like, 3.8. That's, oh my God, holy mother of God, that's really bad considering how A, dense China's population is, and B, that there's signs of asymptomatic infection, and that, you know, we have international travel now that can literally take this anywhere around the globe. Uh, this is something I have to really blow the whistle on because people don't really understand. Like you have to act fast. And if you don't act fast, you're going to get behind. And ever since then, we've always been behind the game. We've always been re reactive instead of proactive. And, you know, I, I, you know, I've, I've also relatives in China. I have, you know, just ears to the ground of many scientists in China. Like I was hearing stuff that 
mainstream scientists here weren't really listening to because they don't have that ear to the ground and pipeline. So altogether, the data was bad. And, you know, from my personal experience, having survived a childhood tumor and, you know, as a previous whistleblower against other pharma, I know that we have to act quickly. I don't want this to really blow up. And, and you know, in certain ways, I'm not, I wasn't chasing a tenure track uh, or a full professorship kind of job anymore. I'm Where like, you have you know, to be I really careful. You can say what yeah. you want to say. Yeah, other scientists <laughs> have to be really careful because... God, yeah. if they say something wrong, oh my God, I'm going to lose tenure. I'm never getting my promotion. People are going to uh, fire me. No, I really have nothing to lose, right? So I, I just said, you know what? Of all the people who are out there, I, I just went for it. Yeah, that's how I do it here, right? I can say what I want to say too because some network doesn't pay me. And they say, well, actually, we have an advertiser that does says that. So you can't say that this company did this. I don't... I don't have that particular situation. So I'm allowed to say what's actually going on. And sometimes... I, I think people are starving for that. That's one of the reasons I've always followed you because you'll tell me what's up without telling me what's yeah. up through the lens of some corporation or some government. And I think the thing is when we talk about government and how we handled it from the beginning and how we were behind the eight ball from the beginning, you can't ignore the fact of who our leadership was when this began. And, you know, we've now been through a lot as a country. I mean, the way this virus unfolded in America is heartbreaking because, like you said, we were always behind the eight ball. There's just this huge amount of suffering, of loss of life, of loss of businesses, of loss of relationships. And those are all terrible, but it was also the way this virus divided us because viruses by nature are not political, right? If anything, right. they are the most apolitical thing in the world. They don't care who we are. They don't care where we vote. They don't care what color our skin is. Their job is to get into our body and multiply as fast as possible and do that's their gig. So if anything, it should have been so easy for us to be Team America versus Team Virus. And somehow the leadership we had ended up politicizing it. So it became sort of Team Science versus Team Virus or Team Freedom or Team Ignore Reality. I don't know what that other team should be called, but... Team Mass Infection on the other side. I know, Team Mass Infection. Does Team take us all out if we want us to? But I just, I think... If the previous administration had been from the very beginning, like, this is serious, we'd like you all to wear masks, we're sending masks to your home, that kind of an idea, or had taken the virus seriously, or we'd seen leadership wearing masks, and they weren't suggesting, you know, idiotic cures that they were coming up with off the top of their head, or using it as a cudgel to divide us. But I... As angry as I am at the previous administration for its leadership that led to sort of division and ignorance about science, I find that I am more cross with the CDC because the CDC was someone that I could really look to and the world really looked to to say like, what are we supposed to do here? Because they're apolitical. They're yeah. supposed to be science first. So, right. and I found that they've made all these decisions that aren't science. Yeah, what do you I think, think in the last that? administration, obviously the CDC was muzzled in many ways. Like they try to muzzle their, you know, the MMWR, um, you know, weekly reports. They try to, you know, basically gaslight and just try to fire or completely silent scientists. But I didn't expect that during this administration, you know, because I've, I've, I'm a Democrat and I've advocated for Biden administration very well. But I think, you know, and, and Biden's been mostly hands off the CDC, right? But the CDC itself is, you know, its leadership has been so behind in terms of airborne. Oh, oh, we don't know it's airborne. Oh my God, 
scientists have been saying it's airborne since like early 2020, but they didn't really recognize it until like 2021. And, and again, if you recognize it, N95 masks, where are they? You know, we have them widely available. You can get them very easily. So why haven't you mandated them? Like hospitals still are not required to use N95 masks. And now like re- like cross infection, uh, basically you go to the hospital negative, but then you acquire COVID in the hospital. That's surged. It used to be like 4% in New York of all the hospitalizations are or cross-infection, but now it's like, you know, 20. It's basically, you know, we've completely been derelict at the CDC. The fact that they still don't require N95 masks in hospitals yeah. is just abominable. And and of course, right now, the, the, the they change the guidelines from all red to, hey, the next day, our new community levels is like mostly green. And they did that by basically saying, well, we're going to ignore positivity cases. We're going to replace it with hospitalizations. Except, you know, the problem is, you know, in public health, you know, it's not like we don't need to wear helmets. Oh, because the hospital beds are not full. Oh, drunk driving is okay right now because the hospital beds are not full. I mean, public health, that's not in any way, a shape or form, like smoking and all these things. Oh, we have all these smoking regulations, trans fat bans, you know, bike and motorcycle helmets and drunk driving laws, even if a hospital beds are not full because we're, we care about prevention. And I think CDC has completely forgotten to pee the prevention in its name. And right now it's just basically, they have this, and, and what I think is basically come what may, unless it's hospitalizations, we don't care. And that is just so dangerous and derelict. Well, I think it's tough, too, for the the particular the government we have right now. And I'm a big supporter of the Biden government, too, because you're in this position where a third of the country refused to do it anyway. Right. They just straight up refuse to do the vaccines. They won't do. They're going to protest the mandates. They won't wear the masks. You have Americans screaming at each other in Bed Bath and Beyonds about someone wearing a mask. It became this political football for them to throw at each other or hammer to hammer Biden with. And the thing is, is that I I wonder, even as someone who's very sick and I wear an N95 anywhere I'm out in public, my son, they just removed the mask mandates from his school. He still wears a mask because he lives with a person who is chronically ill. Luckily, he goes to a school in which most of his friends are lovely about it. There are always the kids that are like, why are you wearing a mask? And, you, you know, but I think we've even got to the point now where people just don't trust science. And what do you do if you don't trust science? Because it leaves us in a position where if if the government could just defer to the CDC and say, they say this, so we have to do that. But if the CDC keeps changing yeah. their mind and we already don't trust science and we feel hesitant about it, what do we do? How do we move forward? Because we must trust science. I know. Science. This is the painful part because, you know, science, you know, science is supposed to be like what drives policy. And yes. you can say that, you know, the Trump administration ignored it, but you can't ignore it now. But it's like almost like it's inconvenient to follow all the science around COVID. And now for expediency, whether it's economic reasons, you know, whether it's Delta Airlines arm twisting, hey, five days is all you need. You don't need to test anymore. That's all you need. Even though, you know, most other countries have a much longer isolation. And if they have shortened it, you have to test out of it. But CDC does neither. And of course, we saw a lot of airline lobbying around that. It's just... 
and of course, there's really bad actors too. There, there's you know, DeSantis is uh, the Stoogey um, Surgeon General, oh, his, his that, Surgeon uh, General, not be I... named, who who just completely says anti-science things uh, and completely cherry picks everything. But you know, they have the veneer. You know, it's scientific. So now it's it's all being muddied. It, it's yes. like climate change. Oh well, you know, there's there's some climate science who. They're just still open for debate. Well, come on. It's like 99.9% of all scientists agree that there is like, you know, climate change. It's just the right wing cherry picks that one scientist and gives them a platform to, you know, muddy the waters. And, you know, that's what the cigarette companies used to do. We don't know if cigarettes really cause cancer. There's still speculation. You know, the, the gaslighting has been happening for a long time. You know, this this corporate influence... Uh, and also political influence trying to, you know, water down the whether it's climate science or other some inconvenient science. It's happening all the time. But right now, the fact that it's really endangering massive numbers of people and hurting us economically is just just un, unfathomable. Like, you know, you go into public health. It's the, by the way, it's the career Instead of medicine, uh, you go into public health to study more degrees, uh, earn more student loans, so you're eligible to come out earning less money. That's what public health is. And then you have your PhD, and everyone says you're not a real doctor. Yeah, yeah. No, but, I got but it. the thing is, like, this is like the one thing, uh, you know, we care about, and now it's completely just blown up. That okay, we don't care about public health anymore because I. I don't know, economics more? Yeah, no, I mean, health? listen, it's economics. Why do we even spend so much money in the healthcare, you know, trying to protect people? Well, I hope we'll continue to do that. I have to tell you, I, I would like to be protected. I mean, <laughs> let's talk about protection. There is an entire group of people who are out here right now saying, we all know we can see the science now, masks never worked, right? Now, you and I both know that masks are not all created equal, but the concept of them not yeah. working at all no matter what the official line of the government is, mask mandate, mask not mandate. Let me just ask you, do masks work? Yes, they do. Uh, <laughs> cloth masks semi-work. Okay. N95 masks work much, much better. And of okay. course, P100 elastomeric masks work even better. And What's of a course, P100? You know, I, want, I want that. That sounds very fancy. I want that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the, the things that, you know, <laughs> it's on the side. They look like gas masks. me on those. I'm like, oh, I look like I have a bowl. Uh, like, don't... Yeah. Just yeah. search P100. <laughs> those are the next level up from the N95. You can, you can get them. But they do work. And it also, the, the, the fact with, with cloth masks, we always said it works best when everyone does it because yeah. cloth masks are best at catching your spray as opposed to, you know, inhalation. But if everyone wears it, then of course everyone catches their own spray. But yeah. if not everyone does it. And if not everyone does it, it's not that great. Uh, and similarly, you know, hence you need to double mask or wear the premium mask. But that gets lost. Uh, and also, the, you know, they say the same thing with vaccines. Oh, vaccines don't work. So in public health, everything is always like, reducing the probability of getting infected, right? Like right. even the best cancer drugs in the world reduce your likelihood of getting cancer or likelihood of dying from cancer. It's not like there is almost no magic silver bullet for anything. But when we say, you know, masks help prevent COVID or vaccines prevent COVID, people think prevent means 100% magical wonder pill 
and uh, there's therefore no breakthroughs or whatsoever. But that's not how, what prevent means. Prevent means you lower the risk. But then the other side muddies it. Oh, you know, the, the, the quote I heard some mom say at a school board meeting, if masks work, then why don't they? Well, yeah, they work to reduce it. Just because you can name, I can name someone who, you know, smoked a pack of cigarettes and died at 100. And they'll say, those people will say, well, if cigarettes kill you, then why doesn't you? You know, but, you know, those are clearly cherry picking kind of things. Don't don't smoke, kids, please. All right. Be don't cool. smoke. Don't smoke. I'm telling you, as someone with broken lungs, do not mess them up if you got healthy ones. So listen, we do this one uh, element of the show where we take a break from all things politics, in this case, all things health. So listen, you're in this global health crisis. You know everything that's going on in the world. What's your escape? What's the thing you do that has nothing to do with health or politics or policy? Like what's your, what's your, I'm getting away from it all. Do you have anything? Because uh, I see. sometimes I'm like, uh, I, I, I got nothing. I, I go skiing sometimes. I'm, I'm a pretty good skier. <laughs> Um, I, I watch Star Trek. Oh, which one? Um, Discovery and Picard. Okay. I've been going through them pretty hard. Um, The Mandalorian. I actually just changed out of my Mandalorian t-shirt just, just for you. I could have brought a Mandalorian helmet to this entire interview. We've got multiple Mandalorian helmets. (laughs) You know what? You you know how the the, the Mandalorian never takes off his mask? I know. That should be actually be like... Someone should do some sort of promo, you know, be like the Mandalorian. This is the way. Never take off. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this, this is, the, is way. the way. Anyways. And uh, oh, look. Look, Eric. Oh, oh. This is the way. We wear our masks, you guys. This, this is, is the, the way. way. Yeah, that's awesome. You have a Mandalorian helmet right there. <laughs> this is my By the life. Way, plan this at all. That's amazing. I want I'm one like, now. This is my life. This is my life. We'll be back right after this. This week's pod is sponsored by my pals at Blinkist. Blinkist is a book summarizing subscription service that allows you to read or listen to the key insights from best-selling nonfiction books in around 15 minutes. This week, someone said to me that my work is a lot like Bill Bryson. And I was like, thank you. Who's that? And the person was like, oh, Lee. And I said, don't oh, Lee me. I don't have any time to read. But I felt like a dum-dum. So later I went home and went on Blinkist. And sure enough, there he was. The man's written a ton of books, but it seems the one he's best known for is a short history of almost everything, which in itself is a summary. A short history of almost everything is like a breakdown of contemporary scientific thinking relating to all aspects of life, from the creation of the universe to our relationship with the teeniest, tiniest bacteria. The book itself is huge, but the Blinkist version is only 38 minutes long. You want to brush up on your foundational knowledge of the universe like the Big Bang Theory or Newton's Laws or Particle Theory? 38 minutes later, there you go. Blinkist not only summarizes books in audio form, but they also give you a text summary in which you can highlight and build notes right on your phone to follow up with later. And when you're listening, they say things like, hey, here's the key message from this chapter, here's the takeaway, which is incredibly helpful when you're talking about stuff like the theory of relativity. I love this app. Blinkist has over 5,000 audio titles. They populate your account with books and episodes that they think you might like, or you can just go looking for them like I do. And right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash politicsgirl to start your seven-day free trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist, spelled 
B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash politics girl to get 25% off and a seven day free trial. Blinkist.com slash politics girl. I'm so happy to have it. And to that person, I know who Bill Bryson is now. So there. My family has been using Athletic Greens literally every day for four months. I've got my friends hooked, my family hooked, and now I want you hooked. Here's the thing. I don't make anything if you buy it. I want you to buy it because I know it'll make you feel better. And if you're someone who bothers to listen to my show, you're someone who really deserves to feel better. This stuff is no joke. With one scoop of Athletic Greens and water on an empty stomach, you are absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day off right. Its special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All the things. It's a once-a-day microhabit that uses the best products and is based in the latest science. I say it all the time, but their current formula is on its 53rd iteration because they're constantly updating it as the science is advancing. No matter how you eat, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, it'll fit into your lifestyle. It has less than one gram of sugar per serving, no GMOs, no chemicals, no artificial anything. So give it a try. Right now is the perfect time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with a convenient daily nutrition, especially as everyone takes off their masks and gives each other, if not COVID, then colds. Stay healthy without a million different pills and supplements. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you one free year of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash politicsgirl. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash politicsgirl to take ownership over your health and get the ultimate in daily nutritional insurance. I know you won't be disappointed. As of this taping, um, the White House press secretary, the vice president's husband, former President Obama, Hillary Clinton, and 10 U.S. Democrats have all tested positive for COVID. Um, and that's in less than two weeks. Now, I know people are dying to get back to normal. Like, I, I understand that. But it doesn't seem like COVID is over. So what's going on? So what's going on is that vaccines um, and boosters work, but they work mostly against hospitalization. Again, they reduce transmission if you're boosted against Omicron. Now, last year, again, when we had these older variants, the, our, our, our vaccines, which are, again, Wuhan spike protein vaccines, they worked really well. But Omicron okay, hold on for a second. So highly, when you say when you say Wuhan spike protein vaccines, you're talking about from the original alpha the virus. Original 1.0. Okay. And then the little guys that come off our original vaccines are making sure that those spike proteins can't do their job, right? So then they can't multiply in your body as yes, well. Yes, the spike okay. protein is like the key that opens the lock into your cell. Okay. And the, the we taught our bodies to learn, oh, this is the spike. If you see this this stranger attack it next time. That's it's a you know it's a virus training program. That's what vaccines are. Right. But we're training it on the original Wuhan 1.0 virus, not Delta, and definitely not Omicron, and definitely not BA2. BA2 is a form of Omicron, right? It's sort of an Omicron. Yeah, BA2. Variation. Well, I think it should be given a separate name, but yeah. it's a subtype of Omicron that's okay. now surging worldwide and and causing a lot of problems in in Asia, as well as in Europe, hospitalizations are rising there. It's really bad. And US, we're at 30% BA2, but it's climbing a lot every week. It's going to get to that point. So right now, BA2 is so different than the original that it's basically 
it has greater penetration against our vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, with two shots, it protects against hospitalization 75%, which is good but not great. But with against infection, it's very low. It's in the teens and 20s and 30s. It's really low. And that's why you need boosters. Okay, so you can still get it, but you won't end up in the hospital. Yeah, but with boosters, if you're a fresh booster, within 10 weeks, you're like 70%. But after 10 weeks, it's like 45% protection against symptomatic infection. So think of it this way. Look, if your body is like this um, bridge, a four-lane highway bridge, your bridge is not going to collapse. The booster protects you 95% against the bridge collapse, right? Okay. Um, but the problem is you've slowed the transmission, but it, you've only closed two lanes out of a four-lane highway. Okay. So, yeah, the, what's the chance that you'll get a virus? It's lower, but you've only closed two out of four lanes. But you know that traffic and a virus can still pass through. What we know is that, you know, you have two viruses. It's either more severe but not more contagious or more contagious and less severe. Which of these two will ultimately, if you let it spread in population, kill more people? Right. It's the less severe, more contagious virus. Because you let it spread more and more, you balloon the denominator of total people infected, and ultimately that will send more people to the hospital and uh, and die. And so this is why the problem with our messaging on focus on, oh, you're protected against hospitalization, don't worry about it is that it's actually condoning un- unfettered spread, right? It, it's And the other thing is, if you tell someone that, oh, you're boosted, you're fine. It's almost like the flu. It, it is technically like the flu and ho- hospitalization, but A, don't forget long COVID. Uh, 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 it's really bad. I think we're going to really see a lot of suffering of symptoms in terms of organ damage. There's new evidence that ca- COVID causes diabetes, uh, exacerbates diabetes as well. And of course, there's memory cognitive fatigue. But uh, even addition to, aside from long COVID and all the long-term costs, you're actually allowing it to spread even more. And the other thing is, if I tell you that, hey, you're not going to get hospitalized, you're not going to die, what are you going to do? You're going to start going to out to nightclubs, dinner parties, you know, restaurants and bars. And basically, you're going to be really, really cavalier about everything again. And that actually will actually allow you to spread even more. Think about it. Like if, if, if you close a four-lane highway down to two lanes, yes, you reduce your risk by 50%. But then you go out uh, 10x more and spread it to 10x more people. You've actually increased the total number of infections and therefore total number of people that will get sick. And this is why this... You're fine. It's just the flu. You won't get hospitalized or die message is really, really dangerous because, you know, in terms of CDC, by the way, listed a, this is what's crazy. They listed a, a, on a website, high risk factors. It's like 25 different illnesses from diabetes to, um, to obesity to a whole slew of di- different diseases. That's like over two thirds of America. I was going to say, you know, yes. And <laughs> it's crazy long. And at the bottom is like, well, if you have high risk risk factors, you should be careful and consult your doctor. Um, okay. So basically, um, if you're not high risk, don't worry about it. Hey, it's party time again, like it's 2019. But if you're high risk, go consult your doctor. But we're, now we're going to reopen everything. 
like how is that socially responsible in any way? And again, it's it's the spreading. By the way, the same thing happened when um, HIV uh, drug cocktails came out. Right. You know, HIV during the eighties and early nineties it was really scary, right? Really a lot of people scary. were dying. I remember it. Wow. And then and then the cocktails came out. And of course, hey, the cocktails makes it just like a chronic illness. You won't die. You won't die anymore uh, you know, most of the time. And so don't worry about it. And actually, people became more promiscuous after the HIV cocktails came out. Yeah. And it's just like these boosters, it's not that the boosters don't work. It's that these people now feel they can be more promiscuous with their virus spreading, right, and partying. And just feeling invulnerable that basically they end up, end up endangering more people. And what happens, of course, is the people on the Upper East Side, Upper West Side in Manhattan, they're fine. They are wealthy. They have a stack of um, Binax now tests this high for all their parties. They have HEPA filters at home. They have HEPA filters at work. Most of them can work remotely. And they can have the doctors that get them Paxlovid, the limited supply that there is. Uh, right now, the U.S. is running short, monoclonal antibody. They can get anything that they want. But most Americans who don't have enough health care can't get like a stack of Binax now test this high. They can't get all these drugs, fancy drugs, and they can't afford HEPA filters at, sc at school, work, or workplace or home. And, of course, they're much more high risk because they're uh, they're poor. Uh, and, and, of course, what happens is that the rich can go brunching again and feel cavalier while the poor people in America still continue. Well, you know what? This whole thing reminds me a little bit of Batman. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm going to tell you why. So that doesn't sound so random to you. Um, but it's like the, the vaccine and then the booster is like you're wearing a bulletproof vest. You know, you can still get shot, but you won't die. We're walking around as if we're Batman, like we're totally invincible. We're wearing a full Kevlar suit. We have the whole thing. And that's not actually how protected we are. Now, the very rich might be almost invincible with their multiple tests and their access to drugs and their ability to test everyone that walks in their front door, they are ultra protected. But the rest of us who live in the real world, we get our booster, we get our vaccine, we're wearing a bulletproof vest. It does not make us invincible. It makes us more protected and less likely to die. And I think if we look at it like that, we can look at masks like one other layer of a bulletproof vest against what's coming out. And if we're with groups of people, then we want to just be more aware and be more careful because what happens is people think, like you said, that they are, um, they're free to go about their business and everything is gone. And you can't just go from having a, a pandemic to not having a pandemic. And I, and I have to say, like, even as a sick person, like I was devastated when they removed the mask mandates because it's just harder. It's so much harder for our family. And yet politically, I can conceptually understand how they got to that point. Like as a intellectually, I can understand that because people are tired. You know, you have this trucker convoy going on and they're just, they're holding up the basic economy against mandates that we currently don't even have. Our people are fighting, there's, they're jockeying for political position and the other party will be worse for the virus, right? So I get concerned that we're going to beat up on the Democrats and say, you let this bill go through without more funding for COVID. You did this, you did this. We're going to vote for the Republicans. And I think, oh God, don't do that. That'll be worse. I mean, you you saw what happened when they were in leadership. They just let us die indiscriminately and they were like, it'll go away like a miracle. <laughs> don't wear a mask. So I feel like we have to be very careful 
politically to both protect ourselves personally, be aware of how protected we really are if we are vaccinated, if we are boosted, and if we wear a mask, but also try on some level to support the one party who actually will get something passed if we say have another big influx of Omicron come through here. That's a different version, another wave. Then Nancy Pelosi said she'll do a standalone bill for COVID. The Republican Party would not do that, right? They would, they they represent the very wealthy. They represent those people you were talking about in New York and and those people will be fine. And they think we've done enough. I mean, they've come out and said, we've done enough. Congress has done enough. The Democrats want more. They can't get it right now. Politically, I can kind of understand that. Do you, and I don't want to rag on the Democrats too much because the alternative is worse. Yeah, politically, I, I, I get why, you know, they they feel like, for example, we lost the Virginia race uh, because oh, of, you know, too much of mask fear politics. But, you know, I, what people have to realize is that if you want your freedom uh, sooner and more freedom, it's it's better to actually take more precautions and, you know, when cases are down, instead of just giving up halfway, which is which America has always done, we've always given up at a plateau. We've never given up at a low level. And politically, I think it's it's a better, bigger win than when we when we actually can declare, you know, freedom from covid or f- basically freedom from any of these stupid variants. It's always going <laughs> to be surging again. And but of course, right now, Republicans are just saying, you know, you know, they keep the, on the vaccine misinformation, the mask misinformation, and use a mask as a wedge, vaccine as a wedge. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, it's it's working for them because people are tired. Everyone is tired. Everyone is tired. Yeah. But, you know, it's but it's one of those inconvenient things. Like, just like climate change, Mother Nature doesn't give a damn about your politics. Right. Uh, it it. It will do what it is doing and right now if you're feeding more greenhouse gases at an epic scale uh, without r- going to green energy and renewable energy, of course this is going to keep uh, keep going. It's not some magical thing. And I think, of course, you know, the ostrich head in the sand uh, phase hopefully is going to be over soon with climate change. But, you know, we've lost so much time. Hopefully people are going to wake up again that, you know, COVID, this COVID is over craze is going to hit them really, really hard in the next two, three months. And people are going to wake up that says, you know, all this whack-a-mole that we've been doing is is hurting us. You know, if we want freedom sooner, then it's we need to get aggressive about it and stop fighting each other. But of course, that's politics. And that's what is so disgusting about this. We haven't had a pandemic of this sort in over... Hundred years, yeah, and it had to happen right now in the age (laughs) of social media. God, if if the pandemic hit before the advent of Facebook, honestly, I think this pandemic would be over by now. But the age of misinformation is upon us, and of course, the vax, the the pandemic had to land right in the middle of all that, and of course, let all the vaccine misinformation keep spreading. God, what a crazy time we well, live in. Well, here's the thing. I mean, people don't know what they don't know. You know, like when you say, oh, you won't understand what it's like to be a parent unless you have a kid. You know, like you can conceptually understand something. You don't know what it's like to lose a loved one 
until you've actually said goodbye to your loved one at their bedside or until you've lost someone in an accident. You don't know that pain until you know that pain, you know? Um, Our family knew what it was like to be that sick, to spend that much time in the hospital, to struggle to breathe. So we were able to look at this pandemic differently than most people because we have uh, we know, we know, and it, you can't know what you don't know. So I understand you have that. An inside lens. Yes, we do. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I think, no. do you think people just can't get it until they can experience it personally, which is why it's like, unless you have someone who died of COVID or unless you watch someone yeah. do it. Yeah, exactly. People don't believe it or take it seriously until it hits them personally or their family personally. Yeah. The same thing with smoking. You know, the, every smoker, by the way, who smokes, knows that smoking is going to kill them or is really, really bad for them, right? Every smoker, they actually know this. There's actually no misinformation about smoking. Every smoker knows that that it's bad for them, but they do it anyways. Why? Because they enjoy it. It's addictive, of course. And, you know, it's it it doesn't hit them until someone in their family dies. And then usually it's something like, I want to be able to see my children someday grow up. That's usually the only reason people quit uh, smoking. And it was so many other things like you don't real. Many people don't realize it or, um, how bad an illness is until it hits them. This is why people oftentimes with health health care, you know, only get really angry when they have some chronic illness or hospitalization and they get a $20,000, $30,000 hospital bill. It's like now, oh God, health insurance. Now, health insurance has always been horrible, right? But now you finally realize it and oh, pre-existing conditions. Oh, I didn't care about that before until now. And I feel like this lack of empathy is a real serious problem yeah. that we can't conceptualize anyone else's pain until we suffer ourselves. And I think it's it's a selfishness in this world that you know you know it's kind of like the same attitude. Why should I pay for other people's sick kids or pay for other kids to go to school if I don't have kids? It's something about collective society. In our uber individualistic society that where we live in, it's me, me, me. You know, personal freedom, freedom, freedom. All that is thrown out the wind. It's like brainwashing of half of America to to. Uh, that basically nobody else matters other than myself. And that selfishness is part of the reason, in addition to misinformation, of why we're still here. Well, you know what? You're talking about misinformation. And I, I used to say at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, why isn't this on the front of every paper? Like, I know it's gruesome, but I felt like they should have had photographs on the front of the New York Times of the morgue trucks filled with bodies, of the hallways within body bags. Yeah. I felt yeah. like... We should have like a daily... Web- like instead of a weather report, like daily local news hospital report. Today in the hospital, hospital capacities are completely full. So, you know, just like, hey, drive slowly out there. Hey, maybe be careful out there and don't do something dangerous. But it's again, it's one of those out of sight, out of mind things. We need to really hit people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at something like the Vietnam War and how the sentiment around the war changed when those images started coming home of all the trauma that was happening there, I feel like that would have been very helpful to America to see the trauma from the first perspective, even if it's even if it was ugly and horrible for us to look at, I think it would have clued us in a little bit more. Now, COVID seems to be in some ways changing. And I know BA2 is just decimating China right now. Um, and then it's moved to Europe. And Europe, we're usually about two weeks behind Europe. So um, 
it's going to come here at a more extended rate. But is it ever going to be that we get to a variant where it's it makes itself harmless or we learn to live with it with improved vaccines and antivirals and treatments? Can people look forward to something so they know they're doing this work with an end goal in mind? Or is this just like, you know, sometimes when people feel it's a perpetual problem, they would rather not deal with it. I think that's where we get back to climate change. It's just too big an issue. So I'm going to pretend it's not happening. Can people look forward to something? You're an expert in public health and public policy. So yeah, this is this is one of those things in which, uh, you know, first of all, we should not delude ourselves that mu- more mutations eventually mutate to be a mild right. form. That's not necessarily true. There's there's no real evidence of that. And so far, it's we're in year three, and each time it's the virus. The virus will do its virus thing to basically be more dodgier and be a better pole vaulter against your immune system, right? And earlier you said a bulletproof vest, except each time it will learn to, to be a little bit more armor-piercing in some right. way. But this is why we have to say, you, you know what doesn't care about variants? Uh, masks. Do you know what doesn't care about variants? Ventilation. Do you know what doesn't care about variants? Disinfection, like these Corsi boxes or HEPA filters, you know, and all these tests, they don't really care about variants. The only thing that cares about variants is um, vaccines and some of these drugs like monoclonal antibodies. And so that's why those who try to only say, hey, we got vaccines, we got monoclonal antibodies. Um, that is a, if you just rely on vaccine only, which vaccines are great, but if you just focus on vaccine only, it's not going to be enough. What we need to do, I think the new normal, like we have to go to a new normal. We We're can't never just going go back, back to, to the old normal. It's never happening. The, the world is completely yeah. changed. Well, I think what we need more is, look, vaccines require behavioral compliance. Masks require behavioral compliance. We have to transcend beyond politics. What doesn't require behavioral compliance? Ventilation, air disinfection. And this is where one of the things where EPA is trying to push that, Labor Department should should do that, CDC should get on board more aggressively with that. Because if you have air disinfection mandates in restaurants and um, nightclubs and bars, you know what? Most people wouldn't even know. And same with schools. Most schools are not poorly, are are very poorly ventilated because they're so old. If we put those disinfection or ventilation systems in, which the pandemic funds had available, it's just people misspent them and didn't spend it on this. It's like the third rail. It doesn't care about behavior or politics. It's just in the rafters or in the corner of the room, or it's just the windows. It's apolitical. And if we just focus on that, that's like the third rail of this pandemic uh, that we've been completely ignoring. And we were still basically allowing the virus to go. But there is a way if we fo- focus on ventilation and disinfection. And that would make it less likely to spread in certain in certain environments. Is that right? Yes. It would reduce almost all the super spreading. Almost all the super spreading. Think of like, you know, like choir singing as, yeah. you know, the Skagit, yeah. Washington uh, outbreaks. School outbreaks in the cafeteria oftentimes because, hey, you know what? Kids take off masks and kids shout in the cafeteria. Like you can't. You can't ignore that reality. Nor do you want that to, because children need to be with each other. This is very essential for their mental health. So, yeah, so put in better ventilation. Like, I'm for in-person schooling. You know, if you do all this masking plus uh, disinfection, you can have in-person right. schooling. 
So, you know, it don't let the right say that, oh, you know, uh, you know, masks are anti-kids. No, masks are pro-kids so that kids stay in school, teachers stay in school. And this ventilation it will even help even more because, you know, because obviously kids aren't always perfect maskers. So if we want kids, keep kids in school learning, then we should focus on this. But it's completely being ignored right now. Or just basically just given like paltry support compared to drugs and all these other things. You know, I think there is a way out of it. Yeah, well, I guess the I guess the uh, air purifying system people don't have a strong enough lobby. No, there's lobbying for, for them. But right now we just have to get real. Like obviously vaccines cost a lot of money, you know, to pay for all these vaccines. And the more mutations, we probably need a new uh, generation of vaccines yeah. soon. Right. And but I don't want to play this whack-a-mole. But you know what doesn't have to play whack-a-mole? These air disinfection mm -hmm. kind of things. It, ventilation, which is free, by the way. It, it's just we just need to do them. It's agnostic for your politics. And it, if we do it all and have these air standards throughout all the buildings, we can transcend the politics of this and still defeat, defeat the uh, pandemic. And and hopefully we'll come out on the better side. Oh, I love, I love that. that. Is, there Is there anything, anything else, else we should, should be looking, looking at for that's, that's coming, coming on the horizon? New uh, uh, treatments, new policies, new, um, I don't know, drugs that might be helping? Anything I should be looking for? I'm hopeful for the kids vaccine. Yeah, the under like, five vaccine. Okay. There's the Moderna under five kids okay. vaccine. It's, it works. They're applying for the EUA uh, uh, right now. Helpful. I think that will be a really good side yeah. of relief to a lot of um, parents with uh, kids under five. Um, we need boosters for kids five to 11. They still don't have boosters yeah. yet. Um, if we get that boosters, then I think it'll be really, really good because uh, two shots with Omicron is just not enough. Omicron is like an armor piercing uh, bullet. Um, you won't die, but it's, it's not enough. 75% is not enough. And again, with two shots, Oh, for kids, it's only 48%. That's why you definitely need the right. third shot. That's why we need to mask, uh, still have mask and protection because the vaccines in kids are A, not entirely available and there's no boosters yet. So I think those are things I'm looking at. Those are um, those are all doable course, things. And they're also things that you can focus on if you're doing another COVID package, you know, putting the money into the air filtration, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. But I really hope that we have this ventilation, air disinfection, indoor air quality, and of course, N95 masks for all healthcare workers. It's ludicrous that we're in year three of an airborne virus and we're still not mandating N95 for all healthcare workers and nursing home workers. Um, that does today. seem bananas. Anyway, this, this is the is way. The way. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much, Eric, for taking the time to join us today. I mean, I know ultimately people want to hear the truth, even if it's not what they want to hear, you know? So I really appreciate you chatting with me and sharing your experiences. And I know it's out of most of our wheelhouses, right? Like we're not scientists. We, we look to scientists to help us and we need experts we can trust when there's so many voices out there that we can't. So I sincerely appreciate you taking this time to talk with me today. Thank you so much for coming. All right. Stay safe, everyone. Bye. So that was Dr. Eric Feigelding, epidemiologist and public health expert. It's quite clear that no matter how much we want to be done with COVID, COVID isn't done with us. But we can do what we can, no matter the politics, to protect ourselves and our loved ones by taking all the steps possible to limit the spread. We might all just need to think more like Mandalorians and not like Batman. We wear the mask when we're in public, and no matter how protected we are, we know we're not invincible. 
We can live our lives pretty well if we keep that in mind. Dr. Feigelding reminds us to reconnect with our empathy, our empathy for other people and for society at large. Like you said, just because hospitalizations for drunk driving is down, it doesn't mean you should go out and drink and drive. So live your life, but from a place of awareness and protection. We need you healthy to add your voice to this broken world. Thank you to Dr. Feigelding for joining us today and to you for caring enough about our country to be here. Until next week, PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.